Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Corp Dev West Coast shares his path, experiencing several six-month-long internships during undergrad, to landing in portfolio management at a firm that deals exclusively with ultra-high net worth clients. We learn about the investor allocation or fund-to-funds world, the ugly side of wealth management, how he showed a genuine passion for PWM to survive recruiting, as well as what came out of over 300-plus applications he submitted online. Listen to why he decided on an MBA and the importance of optionality early in your career. Enjoy. All right, Corp Dev, West Coast, thanks for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I grew up on the East Coast, but uh, made my way out to the West Coast uh, about seven years ago. Um, you know, uh, I've had kind of a, a long, varied career in finance, it feels, at this point. I, I started out working at a uh, sort of ultra-high net worth investment advisory, um, got my CFA during that time, then went back and got an MBA and kind of found my way into uh, the corp dev world now. So living in the Bay Area um, and enjoying the corp dev work for sure. Cool. Okay, let's start all the way back in undergrad. Though. So you're on the East Coast, you're going undergrad. Are you thinking... Um, you're you're in a business program, so like you're kind of always kind of had a bent towards business and finance and that type of stuff. Or what was the thought process? Was it like family pushing you there, or were you just naturally? Yeah, you know, I um I definitely knew that I was interested in business. Uh, I knew I wanted to go to an undergrad business program. I think I was probably inspired by like the economics class that I took in high school was probably my first foray into it and, and realized I, uh, that this was a science that I felt like a much more of a, a tangible relationship to. Uh, so I knew I wanted to do business, but I kind of thought I wanted to do marketing first. Um, and uh, lucky, lucky for me, I went to a school that uh, is kind of a five-year undergraduate program where it's called a co-op program. So you end up doing three different six month internships over the course of the five years of undergrad, which is great because you get to kind of choose, you get to kind of try out different fields uh, over the course of those five years. So I worked at an ad agency in New York City for my first six month internship, like really enjoyed it. I thought I wanted to try finance after that and uh, and went to a, a fund of hedge fund uh, for my second internship, also back in New York City, um, and kind of fell in love with the finance world and uh, you know, didn't look back to marketing really after that. 
Tell me about what was the agency like? I'm, I'm just curious because I don't know anything about that. Was it like a large agency where you come in and you're like a grunt and you're helping just do whatever they ask you to, or were you actually working on accounts and like doing real work? Yeah, so I was in. There were there were four different there were four classmates of mine scattered in different groups. I was the uh, we they called it traffic, which is really like project management in the agency. Okay. I thought it was a cool internship because I got to see every different department. But my job was basically to keep keep everybody on schedule for the advertisements that I was working on. So I'd be, you know, go to the art director and tell him I needed something, you know, by the next day at noon so that the creatives could review it. And uh, it was kind of an intimidating position to be in as like, uh, I don't know, I was probably 19 and, uh, having to corral all these ad execs and <laughs> finishing their work on time. But, um, but it was a really cool uh, kind of crazy environment right on madison avenue in new york and uh was it di- was it digital really or was it like tv print and everything uh it was so it's mostly uh um mostly print uh mostly like direct mail um stuff like that so yeah, the advertising world yeah yeah well the di- advertising direct world is mail. kind of direct mail is really fast yeah, yeah that's where a lot of the best uh copywriters i mean because they they're able to split test so much with uh with basically the um, the the codes that people enter in of like where you heard this or whatever, because they would split up the codes, yeah. on little mailers. It's really interesting the whole the whole split testing. It's basically it originated originated with like those mail order catalogs and all that stuff. Um, for those yeah, that want to geek uh, out on advertising and marketing, <laughs> it was a cool um, it was a cool world, and uh, um, I definitely felt like I learned a lot of just like how to how to act in an office and how to, you know, manage my time and how to, uh, you know, it's my first sort of desk job. Um, These people blow you off and, since uh, you were 19? You're supposed to corral them, but they, did they just blow you off or are they like respectful? Some, some did. Some definitely did. Others were, um, I mean, an ad agency, like it tends to be very young. Anyways, like I thought a lot of these people were like really old and senior and, and looking at it now, they're like 23 and 24. <laughs> and, uh, um, but, uh, no, I mean, it was, uh, most people, um, most people were respectful of, uh, of the deadline. They knew that if, uh, um, that I was just the messenger and that someone else would be coming if, <laughs> after me, if, uh, uh if, the, if the work wasn't done on time, but, um, but yeah, no, it was, so a, you, it, was a, it was a cool, uh, environment. So you followed that up with the next summer, or do you said uh, hedge fund fund, fund of funds, um, again in New York, right? Yeah. So and yep, you kind of fell right. in love with that. Well, what about that was kind of so different i mean it sounds like the first one was kind of like fast-paced and stuff what was the fun of funds like day-to-day like yeah so i had this kind of wild experience with the second internship um where the fund of fund that i worked for um had an allocation to madoff uh which in the second month of my internship all the Madoff stuff was hitting you know front page the journal and exploding so like basically when i got there we realized that, you know, call it like a six or 7% position in the fund of funds, like was just getting written down to zero all at once. And the fund of funds name was all over, uh, <laughs> all over the news as one of the, one of the groups that, um, you know, that was kind of wrapped up in this scandal. And if you're, you know, if you're a fund of hedge funds, you have one job, which is like, don't invest in Madoff. And uh, so over the course of the six months that I was there, um, you know, AUM at this fund of fund probably went from 15 billion down to seven. Um, And it was just a, it was just a wild ride. So, I mean, I think, uh, 
you know, it was also stressful, also fast paced, you know, they kind of tossed me around from group to group, um, you know, working on various things. And uh, I, I ended up kind of spending most of my time in the investor relations group, which understandably needed the most help at that time. Um, so like what, what, what and, were you doing like day to day when you're like, you're helping draft copy, like emails, like what, what to the press, like what, what is investor relations in, this, sort of, in that sort of emergency fire drill setting? <laughs> like, yeah. And how long was, was the, just, how long was the panic? Like every day, like you guys were seeing redemptions come through and it was just like trying to stop the bleeding. What was it like? Yeah, exactly that. Um, there were just redemptions after redemptions coming in. So, I mean, a lot of what I was doing was just processing redemptions um, and responding to client requests. Like, uh, what does my balance look like now? Uh, what's my lockup? When can I get out? That sort of stuff. Um, and uh, I think probably three months into the internship, they tried to put in place kind of uh, um, an offer to investors to kind of stop the bleeding a little bit, which they were they were going to buy back the Madoff position to anybody who wanted to sell it at you know fifty cents on the dollar. Um, if you took that offer, you had to agree to like a longer, like a lockup period. Um, Interesting. Uh, did, did, people, did that work years. or it was a backlash? I mean, I think some, I think it worked for some, some folks. I don't think it was super popular. Most people kind of just wanted out. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it probably, it probably kept some money from going out the door, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, I mean, for me, the experience was, uh, I think, I don't think I knew anything about hedge funds beforehand and that I kind of joined this group and uh, was exposed to, you know, this whole world of hedge funds that I uh, found sort of endlessly fascinating and that uh, I kind of, you know, came back from that internship with my head spinning, like, I've got to figure out, you know, what I even just experienced and what that all, what that well, all yeah, was. You kind of went into the eye of the storm of like the craziest like hedge fund scandal or fraud scandal and pyramid scheme in like yeah, the last was, 20 years or whatever it was. <laughs> it was pretty nuts, but you know, I thought uh, it was cool being able to, I thought working for a fund to fund was really interesting and in that you could kind of, as you dug into the portfolio, there was, you know, 30 different hedge funds in each portfolio that were all sort of, you know, employing different strategies, working in different geographies and uh, all had these like, weird names that were you know like a lord of the rings reference or this reference and i just like it felt like this whole pandora's box of um of this world that i just you know really knew nothing about and uh the more that i dug into you know one fund versus another fund the more i um wanted to kind of understand how how it all worked and what the indifferent investment strategies were um that was your junior all that so Uh, i guess this was one of the six months uh, yeah, this was like the maybe my third year of the okay. of the five years of undergrad. And so, what yeah. did you did you have one more co op left? I did have one more um, after that. So I knew I wanted to of the two, I liked the second one more, and I wanted to kind of stick in finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took a position. Uh, I my third co op was with Goldman, um, kind of on their prime brokerage team in the mm-hmm. securities lending group. Um, so I was in a kind of client service function in the sec on the sec lending team, which was also kind of a quirky, uh, obscure, you know, part of the prime brokerage world. Yeah. Explain to the uh, listeners who but, don't know what prime brokerage is just, and, and then what your specific group did. Cause I think for me, it took me a while to figure out what this was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think of prime brokerage really is just like hedge fund 
services, um, you know, for brokerage for for uh, hedge funds and big uh, trading outlets. So you're helping them execute um, and, trade. Uh, you're helping them execute trades. Put on do what do what types of services? So like that specifically, like actually so, take positions. Well. Yeah, specifically in securities lending, like you're kind of a middleman between um, between borrowers and uh, and lenders of securities. So on the one hand, our clients were you know the J.P. Morgans of the world, the MFSs, like big mutual fund houses that essentially, if they wanted to, they could lend out uh, individual stocks in their portfolio through a securities lender like Goldman. To people who wanted to borrow them on the other side, which is mostly uh, people looking to short sell. So you're sure. kind of sitting in between mutual funds and and hedge funds. Uh, so you're a broker, kind of facilitating, um, you know, a- allowing those mutual funds to earn, you know, an extra ten basis points or something like that on a, on a security when a uh, uh, as a hedge fund on the other end is borrowing it so they can short it sell it hope that it goes down yeah so that they can short it um so kind of an interesting space um again again something i knew like nothing about but was it good to get that kind of like big investment bank um type of experience um and kind of an interesting seat to be in you know it was it was cool that you got to see uh, the different rates that different securities were going out at. So, for instance, if there's a stock out there that that, um, that everybody is looking to short, that everybody's trying to borrow so that they can short, uh, there's a rebate rate on it, which is essentially what the short seller uh, has to pay in order to uh, borrow it. And some of those rebate rates can be really insanely high. Really high. So, like a Tesla yeah, right so now, what time, do you think would it be right now if everyone's trying to short Tesla? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Is, I have no idea what it would actually be, but I. But like you know, at the time, Sears Roebuck was like the most shorted name, and uh, the rebate, the amount that people were paying just for the privilege of being able to short Sears was like incredibly high. So it was it was kind of cool to get to flip through all of those and like a uh, rebate rate. Uh, what is just, that? What is that quoted in like monthly like interest? You get it like a monthly rate or something or annual rate of interest of like. So if you if you were to say, hey, give me a give me you know. $100 million worth of Sears to, to short, like I want, they would say, okay, but we're going to charge you 20% annualized on that or 30% annualized, something like that. Yeah, I think they, I think I'm going to have to like stretch my memory back to remember yeah, what these, I think it was probably annualized. I know this was a, just, a, but, I know this was an internship, so it's not fair. To, yeah, a decade yeah, ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just curious because I'm trying, but, uh, I'm, I'm just curious how they quote it and stuff like that. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so would, would, as a prime brokerage, are you, are you getting a quote from the mutual fund and then getting margin, uh, getting like a, a slight um, kind of margin on that? So providing the liquidity or is that how you can think of it? Like a yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was the, that was kind of the, fu- the whole function of the team. Um, you would, so if you borrowed a stock, you'd have to post uh, cash collateral. Um, uh, or securities collateral, and then those would generate, you know, be invested in, I think, money markets and generate a small amount of money. And then mm-hmm. that kind of, uh, that like the earnings on the collateral would get kind of split between all parties, um, the custodian between us, the um, uh, the securities lender and the lender and the borrower. Um, and uh, yeah, my, you know, it, it, it's all talking like very small numbers, um, like really, really 
small uh, returns for for kind of all parties. I mean, I think I I had to put together one of the clients like annual reports, and I think in total we earned them like an extra seven basis points, like from a whole year's worth of uh, activity. So it's it's a very low risk, low return uh, type of function that. I, my view has been mutual funds, like might as well do it because you can earn a little bit, uh, you can earn a yeah. tiny bit on it. Um, but uh, um, it's not, you know. Hey, that's seven basis points state. if you're talking 100, 100 billion. <laughs> <laughs> it matters. Yeah. They're yeah. Um, they could. But uh, my my role specifically was in, so in client service. So my job was basically to put together reports for the clients on like a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual basis. So there were different reports, different uh, clients got, um, you know, uh, essentially every day. So if you're a mutual fund um, and you want to enter into one of these securities lending programs, you can kind of set different parameters around it, um, depending on kind of your risk threshold. So how much of any one security can be out on loan, how much can go to different brokers, Makes sense. Um, you know, how long did you like it out on loan. coming out of this? Were you like, Hey, I want to go back to the fund of funds world. That was much more fun. <laughs> or or were you a, thinking, what else were you thinking? Like, did you even know about private equity, hedge funds, any of this stuff like by this point or investment banking? Like what was going no, on? I mean, my, um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, there were, there were things, good things that I took out of that internship at Goldman, but I think my great biggest takeaway was like, I don't, want to go work for a Goldman or an investment bank. Like it was, um, um, I think I was just working, you know, like 6am to seven or eight every night, um, which, you know, maybe compared to some other bankers is, is not, you know, not that terrible, but I just, uh, I just Six wasn't really, early. didn't really find it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't find it that intellectually stimulating and, uh, um, I just felt like kind of one very tiny cog in a giant machine and like I didn't have any influence or, uh, you know, um, that if I, if I went away, nothing would, <laughs> nothing would, uh, nothing bad would happen. I just, uh, it just, it, it wasn't that excited about it. And so the second internship, which is more the, the fund of fund had me more interested in, in the investing world. I would say I was pretty ignorant when it comes to like, I didn't really know much about investment banking programs. Like I didn't know much about, you know, management consulting or some of these other more like tried and true paths. Um, Had you come across and, uh, uh, Wall Street Oasis at this point? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I just probably wasn't reading it as much as I needed to. <laughs> uh, okay. But, you know, I mean, one of the, uh, one of the benefits of kind of getting to try out those three internships was like, I felt like I had a really defined picture of what I wanted to do at that point. So I wasn't necessarily thinking, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do a two year sort of check the box type of experience and then go from there into, into what I want to do. Um, I thought, I, I thought at that point that I, you know, had it all figured out and I knew, I knew exactly what career that I wanted like to go. Like most 22 so. year olds or whatever you were at that point. <laughs> We know, yeah, you yeah. know, all as a 22 year old, um, right? That's a rule. Exactly. So, okay, so you're, you're coming yeah. out, kind of going to the final year. You, um, so you're thinking, I want to go more kind of to investing. It's a little vague, but okay. You, you liked the fund right. of funds. So you're kind of looking for more of those types of roles. Can I get to a fund of fund? Can I get to it? Were you thinking principal investing potentially? Like where you'd actually put the money to work? Were you trying for that? I was thinking a little bit 
more no i was actually i had kind of dialed it into being a little bit more even more specific so uh i thought i wanted to go more into like the private wealth management world um so i wanted to work with like individuals and families um to you know help them you know plan for future invest their capital like build portfolios that that sort of thing. So I, I liked investing, but I wanted to, I wanted to go into like portfolio management type of investing. Um, and uh, I wanted a client. People are like, in a, people are going to ask, why didn't North, why didn't you do an internship with Northwestern mutual <laughs> or, <yeah. next> <laughs> or like any of those PW, you know, yeah. cause like PWM is sometimes considered one of the easier ones to get into. You can be, you can do incredibly well, but a lot of it's sales, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it like, yeah, like, that's, that's right. Yeah. So tell me about how um, you no, thought about that. Did you like, know, did you have your eyes wide open about that? Like when you're thinking, Hey, I want to do, I want to do more wealth, private wealth management, go talk to, you know, help families. Did you go in knowing that's what this job was and tell me how you ended up landing your first gig and how that recruiting path went? Yeah, no. So I, I learned, I learned mostly through the recruiting process. So I, you know, I, I went to the Northwestern mutual like recruiting day. Like I went, sat through one of those presentations, like sat through one, I think at JP Morgan too. And uh, there's a few, I, as I kind of started applying to roles in that field, you learn kind of quickly that it's uh, like, it's a commission based job. Like you're not going to make money for your first 18 months to two years. You know, the questions that people were asking me was like, you know, what do your parents do for work and can they float you for the next two years while you like get this up and running and how many family members can you bring on to our platform? Like, and I was like, all right, this is feeling really seedy and not at all what I was, uh, what I was expecting. So what I kind of realized from there was the low end of the market. So the mass F, mass affluent, um, base is much, very much like that, like on commissions and, and things like that. Uh, but that if you move into like the ultra high net worth space, there's uh, there's firms that are a little bit more stable that are um, are uh, you know not you know have a salaried position, have kind of two year programs where uh, that you can go into. And I think there's probably not that many. It's a relatively small world when you start getting into the like uh, investment advisors who manage fifty hundred million dollar minimums. And up, but that's where I started uh, looking, and I and where I started having the most traction because I had a little bit of you know hedge fund and alternatives like exposure and experience. Um, so I basically drilled it down to I want to work for an ultra high net worth RIA that's in New York City, uh, and I kind of had that laser focus and uh, that's awesome. Pounding that's on that that's amazing. You know that's amazing for. But I guess it's probably because you did the co-ops. I think it really helped you. It sounds like, because most kids coming out, they'll either be like, hey, I want to go this way because, hey, I don't know what else to do. And it pays really well. It sounds like you really gave it a lot of thought, um, which is kind of rare um, for that young. Yeah, so, I, I think so. To be able, so, but yeah. you narrowed it down so much. Was there any fear of like, I'm not going to find the job in New York? Or like, how did you even go about sourcing these specific ultra high because those aren't necessarily easy to find right those offices yeah i mean at the end of the day i think i got like extraordinarily lucky um i was applying to everything off of every platform i mean i don't think linkedin even really had like job postings at that time mm -hmm. um so i was like i was like on monster.com i was on craigslist i was just like uh you know putting 
portfolio management uh, and, you know, investment associate into uh, any search thing that I could find and firing out like resume after resume. This was your your senior year. You had nothing lined up. Yeah. Within like nine months. You were like panicking. Were you panicking? What was the thought process? I'm going to have to go move in with my parents. What was the... (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't panicking so much. So I had, I was kind of in my last semester um, of school. I had only two classes left in order to graduate. So I had a ton of free time. Um, and so mm-hmm. I was kind of just grinding at it um, and putting a ton of effort into recruiting. I had a, this is a funny story, but I was in Boston. And so I picked up a part-time job driving a, uh, a bicycle taxi in Boston, a pedicab. Uh, and so I was literally like, I mean, my days were like taking fans into the, uh, uh, to Red Sox games at Fenway park and then spending all night, uh, sending out resumes. Um, and so I felt like, <laughs> I felt like I was getting enough responses and enough, uh, interest based on my resume. Like, you know, uh, having a Goldman internship at the top of it probably wasn't bad for me, you know, um, coming out of undergrad, like I felt like I was getting lots of, in, um, lots of interest. And I turned down a couple of roles that didn't really feel right. Um, and, uh, how many, um, how yeah, many so places do you think panicking. you applied? Like if you count all the, all the applications you submitted on Monster and Indeed, please. Oh, uh, I mean, like, hundreds, maybe. Yeah. hundreds, 300, um, 400, something I mean, like that. Yeah. At least probably. I think it's, I think um, it's helpful just to, to, for the listeners to know that. So like, yeah, you, know, you had a Goldman internship at the top of your resume. You still applied to three to four hundred places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. you know, and you kind of knew mean, what you were looking for, but you were smart enough to kind of, hey, I'm going to get the reps. Did you those those places you got offers for? Did you still do those interviews, or was it just like, yeah, we'll hire you? Tell me about those. The ones you turned uh, down. No, I still did inter. I still did interviews. They were all kind of. Uh, um, I mean, so there were there was a couple that were like that more mass affluent um, private wealth management. When you say mass affluent, uh, what where, does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, so, I mean, it's like a, I guess it's like kind of a category in the private wealth management of like, call it it's like not, one to it's not five. Ultra, it's not ultra high net worth. Range. It's like, yeah, net worth of yeah. one to five. So it's, it's a little more seedy. They're trying to get you to bring in your own family, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, typically more commission, less salary. Um, so you, so you yeah. kind of turned, you got some interviews for those types of places. Tell me how you approached those interviews. Were you just seeing it as practice where you're like, hey, let me just hear them out. And tell me, did those help you in your kind of final interviews for the places you ended up going? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I was approaching them. I was approaching everything pretty seriously. And I don't think that I was, you know, uh, overly confident enough to like pull out of processes at at that time, like I was, even if I was like kind of sure that it wasn't something that I wanted, um, I probably was going to say yes to each interview and then see, you know, uh, see what the package was at the end. And yeah. Um, uh, but you know, I was, I was considering the, uh, sort of commission side of things. I just didn't really know if that was normal or not. Um, you know, I talked to a couple of professors, I had a a really good sales professor in, uh, Mm -hmm. in college and I kind of asked him, is this something I should actually be thinking about? I talked to my parents and, you know, they, they were like, it's what you want to do. We can help you and all that, which was, which is great to have that support. But at the end of the day, it just, uh, um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't expecting to uh, come out and, and be taking a, a purely commission sort of job. Like I just don't think that was really realistic. Um, yeah. and 
Yeah, there were a couple other jobs that were in sort of like hedge fund research. Like there was a third party group that was, you know, putting together their own proprietary hedge fund research and selling it to, you know, different institutions. Um, I thought that could have been interesting, but the package was like really low. Uh, and so I kind of said no to that. It was a like, couple, like it was a fund of hedge funds. Under 50K? Yeah, I think it felt like 45K at the time. I remember I made a huge mistake and uh, the guy kind of surprised me and giving me the offer like right in the middle of the last interview. Uh, and uh, I was kind of taken aback and he said, all right, he was basically like, how much do you want? And I, I quoted him a range, but I started with a low number and then he cut me off before I could even say the end of the range and just was like, great. Yeah. 45 sounds good. Like here, here's your offer letter. And, uh, you know, and I, uh, when can you start? And I was, I was like, oh, well, let me think about it. Uh, so, I mean, there were, you know, there's always situations like that where um, you get thrown into a negotiation. You have no idea that's, how to negotiate or what. That's or, interesting yeah. that, like, that's a pretty aggressive move. I mean, I'm yeah. surprised he thought that would work or if that's worked in the past. Um, yeah. But anyways. It, so, it gave me enough of a bad taste to, yeah. to not even counter. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you're, you're kind of applying, you're applying, you, and then. And then tell me about the place you ended up going or what, you know, what type of place it was, you know, to get into specifics, but just in kind of how you progressed there and how, what, actually what, the, yeah, what was the interview so, like there was, and how did you like show yourself that you're ready for this? I know you had the prime brokerage, you had the fund of funds co-op, so you could talk a lot about that, but were the questions technical at all? Was it more just like, Hey, how do you see yourself growing with us? So tell, tell me how you kind of prepped for these. Cause it's a little bit different. It's obviously very yeah. different from like an investment banking interview. Yeah, I, I would say the um, the interviews were not very technical. Um, most of them were trying to gauge like genuine interest in the space. So I think a lot of you know a lot of kids are coming out of undergrad, you know, just blasting out resumes as I was doing to all sorts of different things, and uh, um, you know, not really sure of what they want to want to do. So I felt like in a lot of cases, my job was to just to kind of prove to them that I, I understood the, uh, the industry and I understood the role and that I had like genuine interest in, in this sort of position. How did you, you know, do the that most though? Technical did you question. talk about, did you talk about like trades you'd put on? Did you trade personally? Like what did you do to show that you were interested specifically in like portfolio management? No, I, uh, so I, I, I mean, I had a small investment account. I, didn't really bring that up in in interviews at that time. I felt like not unprepared to like throw a stock pitch at someone, and I wasn't gonna, you know, I, I felt like maybe I, you know, yeah, maybe I got my hand burnt like one time on on doing that, where like I mentioned some stock that I invested in, and they were like, okay, well, give me the, you know, give me your five minute stock pitch on it. Like, what's and I couldn't even, you know, tell them what the you know margin profile of the company was. So it was like, I right, I should probably not try that again. Um, no, I think the most technical questions that, you know, I got in those kind of roles were like, um, if you had a, uh, um, if you were advising your parents on investing their portfolio today, like talk me through what you would, uh, what kind of advice you would give them, you know, how much do you think should be in bonds? How much do you think should be in stocks and, and, uh, and other things like that. So sort of giving like a thoughtful response. Um, not just, you know, riddling off, you know, the last 10 news stories, you know, uh, affecting the, you know, S&P 500, but more like assessing, 
my, you know, the hypothetical situation of my parents and where they are in their life and retirement and careers and how much risk they should take. Um, you know, showing some knowledge of of that, I a felt port- like just basically uh, portfolio um, construction, portfolio theory, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, asset speaking. allocation and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, what did you say? Like, yeah. did you say you're going to allocate it? Uh, some to commodities, some to bonds, big percent, <laughs> higher percentage of bonds since they're getting older. I think I've, I don't remember what, uh, you know, what al- asset allocation I, I you should have just out, said, I'm sure it throw was. it all in the stocks, baby. <laughs> we're in, we're in a long bull run about to hit ever. And you would have been right, but, um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, sorry, go ahead. So you're, so you're no, um, something along the lines of, you know, a regional answer. I'm sure you gave them. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I probably talked a little bit about, you know, where my parents were in their career and, uh, um, and it's like, you know, would I put, you know, they've got a house that's worth X amount. And so they don't need to put anything into real estate in their portfolio because they already have real estate exposure here, like little things like, like thinking through their, their more holistic, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, net worth and asset, asset base was, um, was showing, you know, you're thinking more holistically and broadly about their whole portfolio and exposure. Cool. Um, any suggestions on how people can prep for that or get well-versed in that? Is that just more like academic portfolio construction? Um, you know, I think there's really no substitute for reading the news um, and uh, just having a little bit of a sense for a few different a few different asset classes and kind of like what's going on in, in those spaces. So like, it might be helpful to know where, you know, where long-term interest rates are. Um, it might be helpful to know like what the general PE multiple is in the S and P 500. It might be helpful to know, like uh, if there's any emerging market uh, emerging, you know, a, a fact or two about some emerging markets that you might think are interesting um, just to kind of get a sense for, for, where things are in the business cycle and demonstrate that you understand how different asset classes will behave in different market environments. Okay. Um, quick, quick game. Longer, longer sh- quick game, longer, short Tesla. Go. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so long. I'm probably long. <laughs> I am too. I don't know. I know this valuation is crazy though. I, I, I agree. I I'm long the business, you know, it's long-term, very long-term short-term, probably short. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, Okay. So you kind of, you were at this, you eventually got a, a role, right? In portfolio management. You were at the firm for yeah. quite a while. Um, tell me yeah, how you progress. Right. Tell me a little bit how you progress there. We're kind of running out of time a little bit, but I don't want to keep it too long, but tell me how things progress there. Cause you did make a, a pretty big move. Um, and tell me how that came about, how you kind of um, moved up an organization like that. And it, it was an ultra high net worth portfolio management yeah correct okay so you're talking about what that was like yeah so i mean i kind of found a perfect home for me like yeah with such a laser focus on what what i wanted to do i found like exactly the right shop uh to go join which i you know think back on how lucky i was to kind of to kind of land there And, and then when i did i stayed basically as long as long as i could um so they had a sort of two or three year analyst program and then a two or three year associate program. Um, and then after that, it was kind of, uh, you kind of have to move on. Um, and most people kind of go to business school after that or, or try to find something else. 
Um, so I started in the in the portfolio management side of things as an analyst, and it was pretty much exactly what I was hoping for, exactly what I was expecting. You know, like sitting across the table, or or in some cases going up to uh, some rich guy's house on the Upper West Side in Manhattan, like with my boss and presenting you know, the quarterly his quarterly returns and like watching my boss talk through incredibly deeply and knowledgeably on like every hedge fund, private equity fund, venture fund, like in his portfolio, uh, like able to explain the returns for, for every single line. And I thought like, this is, this is a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool space to be in. So I really enjoyed it. And I loved that I got, you know, going from not knowing who my client was at Goldman and being pretty sure they didn't know who I was to sitting across the table from a client um, was 90% of like what I was looking for to get that kind of um, uh, that connection. So, you know, my, my first goal joining was like, I just want to keep my head down and, and get promoted to as associate is, you know, make it to the associate level. It was kind of like a upper out type of situation where if you weren't mm-hmm. getting promoted to associate at the end of three years, like you kind of had to move on. So how do you, how do you pretty perform cr- well in this type of role? Like you just make yourself useful and help with analysis, that type of stuff. Or like, are there programs you guys are using that are like internal? Just, I'm so, it's so opaque to me, like how yeah. you deal with this. <laughs> like Everything, um, everything was in, so there were some internal programs, but everything was like uh, mostly in Excel. And honestly, like as an analyst, your job was to like make sure all the numbers in the client's report uh, at the end of each quarter were exactly right. Um, and so honestly, when I was starting, we'd get, you know, cause hedge funds report numbers in uh, so many different formats and, and, uh, and through different portals and some were just mailing their, you know, the monthly statement directly to us. So honestly, like I'd show up and I'd have a pile of uh, mail on my desk and I would open it with a letter opener and plug the numbers into the computer so that at the end of the quarter, I could like build the whole report for, for the client. Luckily, things have like progressed. I, this sounds like I was an analyst in like 1996. But <laughs> <laughs> this was less than a decade ago, everybody who's listening here. Yeah. This, is, this is not that long ago. Okay, so yeah, why was it so archaic? Things have progressed and they now send it electronically? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it was archaic because there's not a ton of ultra high net worth investment advisors out there who are investing across hedge funds, private equity, venture, real estate, like all these so getting them into types one, of investment vehicles. Yeah, getting all getting that. them into one investment program was was pretty hard. And there's actually there's a few different technology companies that are still trying to figure out that problem and like nobody's really solved that one the yet. Problem, like there's, every, only, there's only like probably like ten thousand of these ultra high net worth <laughs> like people in the in the country or whatever. If you're talking like twenty million plus I don't even know what the what level yeah, you guys were talking um, about. But um, no, I mean, there's probably like 30 firms in the U.S. that are like that have a significant, probably have like more than five billion in assets under management and are focused on that like hundred million dollar and above space. Right. right. Um, so yeah, it's not like a super deep market that if you built software to to do this, um, and you kind of have to get every hedge fund and private equity funds to like all use you nightmare. as well in March to the same beat. Like it's not it not super realistic. So, so honestly, like the, the two years as an analyst or three years as an analyst was, uh, um, just like attention to the detail over and over a thousand times. Like you, you print, you get the support report together and then you check every single number in it three times before you give it to your associate and they check every number in it twice and then they give it to the next person. And if, uh, 
you know, um, you're, you're doing well if uh, your boss is prepared enough to, you know, talk to the client um, about what happened over the, over the last quarter um, and have all the information and insight uh, that they need. So as you get a little bit more advanced than that, um, like uh, building, actually building the reports um, becomes more second nature, then you can kind of use your free time to start digging into the portfolio a little bit more. But, um, but uh, you know, in understanding the investments and understanding the asset allocation, but from, from the beginning, it was really just, uh, just produce reports and just make sure the numbers are right. So tell me about this transition you made and then there was some sort of private equity research type of, well, tell me about that. Yeah, so I would say, you know, a lot, the, a lot of people at the firm were trying to make a transition from the portfolio management side of the house, which is really like the client client facing side of the house to the research team. Um, the research team was like a 20 to 25 person team. And their job was to, um, you know, scan the universe for investment funds and ideas um, within their asset class and uh, either approve or not approve them for our clients to invest in. So like a fund of so funds, kind of, uh, almost like a fund of yeah. funds. Yeah, okay. but for Feels PE like specifically, PE and growth equity mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, so I sat on the private equity and venture desk. So I covered um, everything from like uh, big buyout shops to sort of mid market growth equity sort of stuff, all the way down to like early stage venture. Okay, uh, we had a separate real real estate team, so I didn't cover real estate, but it was global. Um, so we were looking at venture funds in, you know, in China and in Brazil and, uh, um, bio funds in India and, uh, I'm sure uh, all these, fun, all these funds like were happy to take your call and pitch you on their idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was an interesting transition going from a client facing function where you are, um, you know, you're on the side of the table where you're trying to make sure the client's happy and satisfied and has everything they need to going to the research side where um, everybody I met with is uh, trying to raise capital and wants you to feel like the smartest uh, person and that every question you ask is the best question they've ever uh, been asked. And uh, it was a real, it was a real reversal, Um, but, uh, but a a comfortable and an exciting place to be. I mean, for me, it was, um, we, we probably met with, one or two different private equity or venture funds a day for the three years I was on the uh, research team. Um, and every wow. one of them had a different strategy, different approach, different geography, different take. And I just got to pick the brains of these like brilliant investors and like learn how they invested <laughs> and learn how they saw the world. And so uh, that felt like a really valuable place to be and to learn. So as you're kind of approaching the end of this tenure here, you're thinking potentially MBA. What were you thinking? You know, I knew you knew your time was coming up, right? And like you had to move on MBA or whatnot. But yeah, what were you thinking for yourself as next step? Like, were you thinking corporate development? Were you thinking go back to a fund of funds? Like, what was the thought process? Why MBA and why, you know? Yeah, you, you got your CFA, right? So you had already had your CFA. Yeah. Right? So why get the MBA? I did the CFA as well. So the MBA, um, you know, honestly, I was I was kind of skeptical about the MBA to begin with. I kind of approached the CFA with, um, you know, if I can get through this, then maybe I can skip the two-year MBA and just kind of keep going. Um, but, uh, you know, the firm that I was working for made it really easy uh, and to apply to an MBA and really, like, encouraged you to. You know, I had bosses that were 
like, you know, really willing to write my recommendations and, uh, you know, there's some, uh, funds available to like, you know, uh, take a GMAT course and all that sort of stuff. So they knew that, I think they knew that since they were kicking people out the door at the end of five or six years, like they wanted to set them up for success. Um, so I felt like, uh, um, I felt like I might as well try and see if I can get into, you know, a top 10 MBA program that I might as well, um, might as well throw out some applications, but I also applied to, to jobs at the same time. Like once my applications went out, I also, you know, looked, uh, you know, threw out a couple applications and, and got into some different processes. And at the end of the day, I was choosing between going to Berkeley, uh, for a full-time MBA, um, and taking, uh, taking a role that was kind of similar to what I had been doing, um, at the uh, uh, investment advisory, like very similar role covering private equity and venture mm-hmm. um, for like an investment consultancy. Uh, and so I kind of, you know, um, the two options for me were like, I can kind of keep going down this path if I want, um, or I can take a step back, really reevaluate, um, take two years and see what it is I want to do. I think, you know, had I taken that other job, I probably, uh, would probably have a pre- pretty clear like line of sight to what the next 20 years of my career would be. And it probably would have been more of the same. And the MBA was a little bit more of a question mark where I don't think I would ever, I didn't think I would ever really regret getting the MBA and having that kind of stamp of approval. Um, and it was a little bit more open-ended, like let's see where this takes me and, and what else there might be for me. Cause I can kind of always come back to this uh, investment advisory world if, if I want to. And so how'd you end up in Queen Corp Dev? You kind of come onto campus and you're thinking, hey, this is great. Um, everyone's applying for like management consulting and investment banking. You're like, I don't want that. So tell me, tell <laughs> Still me what I want it. So, yeah, <laughs> so tell me how you thought Corp Dev, how you narrowed that down. And then and then tell me a little bit, about, we'll cut it off after that. And just tell me a little bit about like the, the recruiting process of how do you land it in there? Yeah, so it was a little bit of a, you know, I didn't go into the MBA thinking I want to do Corp Dev on the other end. I think what I knew I wanted to do was move from evaluating uh, investment funds, like I moved from evaluating hedge funds or private equity funds, uh, like investing in investors to actually evaluating companies. And so uh, whether that was a, you know, a direct investing type of role in venture or private equity or growth equity or something like that. Or I kind of just widened the aperture to also include, you know, strategic investing, uh, the corporate venture capital, and ultimately corporate development kind of fell into there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the role, um, you know, and you know, speaking frankly, like I think, uh, had I been able to successfully make the jump from there into a private equity, you know, a senior associate type of role, or like uh, at a really reputable VC, like I would have, I would have probably ended up there. I interviewed uh, constantly for two years and, you know, made some headway, but uh, ultimately wasn't able to really that's, pull off that. That's almost that impossible. Jump. That's almost impossible. If you don't yeah. have the, if you don't have the principal investing experience prior to your MBA, trying to get one for a post MBA seat, which is super narrow, like all the kids who already had private equity roles before MBA are exactly, like yeah. a lot of them don't get into the post MBA seats. Like, cause it's just less. Yeah. Going to the buy side from an MBA is like, it's not super easy. I've seen with, it. I've have, seen it, yeah, but I'm yeah, like, it's yeah. super rare. I probably, there's, this is like podcast 130 something. And yeah. I've spoken, I think to two, maybe three who broke in post MBA to like a PE fund. 
Yeah. I mean, I felt like, uh, so it can happen the closest but... that I could get. <laughs> yeah. The closest I could get was if I was willing to entertain roles that were basically like associate level roles at like a really good private equity firm. Like I was still applying to those like pre MBA type roles. And, uh, mm-hmm. but even those, like I would get to kind of like the final, like the closing dinner, uh, of the process. Yeah. And they would be like, and so you're, you're post MBA, you really want to be working with like, you know, 26 year old kids in the same kind of position as that. And they, they just kind of, you know, it did, it didn't pass the smell test to them, I think at that point. So, you know, I kind of, I kind of widened the aperture a little bit and was talking to some corporate venture capital groups. Um, and the way I actually found this role is uh, I had been, you know, over the course of my MBA, I'd been putting together different, you know, investment pitches for, for different recruiting processes, whether it was a startup that I thought was really good for whatever reason or a public equity. Um, I wanted to have like four or five, six different investment, you know, well thought through investment ideas or theses to, to talk about in different, in different interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the company I work for now is a publicly traded company. And I, I started approaching it by putting together an investment thesis for that company. Like I thought this was an interesting, uh, it, it's a bank. Uh, I thought it's an interesting interest of a bank that was interestingly positioned and uh, like maybe there's something I can, I can dig into here and, and put together, you know, a stock pitch for this company. And the more I looked into it, the more I thought, yeah, this is actually a really, really unique company. Let's see what's open on the job board there. And I started applying to jobs in corporate strategy and corporate development um, cool. at that company. Um, and then going into the interviews, I felt like super pre- well prepared to talk about, um, you know, the strategy of the of the company and why I thought it was well positioned and what I thought that they should do because I had done a lot of, you know, public equity research on it and um and that kind of uh that showed me you know navigate that recruit recruiting process yeah very cool that's interesting you kind of started it as like just just as a pitch and you're like wait this interest this company is actually really interesting and you ended up applying there and getting a job there um that's right yeah kind of fascinating (laughs) kind of not not the way you probably drew it up but hey why not Um, no not at all yeah cool well before we call it anything else any kind of final words of wisdom you'd share for either your, your younger self or for the listeners here in terms of how you would have uh, uh, would you have kind of gone through the same path, it sounds like you had a pretty, um, pretty successful and kind of well defined path. Like you pretty much knew what you were doing for most of it. It sounds like it, um, but yeah, I'd love to hear. I think you, so. Yeah, I mean, I constantly go back, think back, especially going to business school with a bunch of former bankers and former consultants, and former consultants who are having their MBA entirely paid for by the consulting firm. Uh, I I definitely look back on my like path and think like should I have I I you know investment banking wasn't even really on my radar and neither was consulting you know would it would it have served me better to take one of those positions that kind of preserve optionality and that's like a little bit more universally uh, understood experience like I felt coming out of the MBA like I still had to explain to people that uh were skeptical that i had never had a banking experience um and did you have, the, did you have the modeling experience. chops did you have the modeling chops did you have the principal investing chops that type of stuff exactly yeah i mean um and that was definitely like an uphill battle to type to try to uh you know at least with what i was the transition that i was trying trying to make and the cfa helped a little bit because i could kind of prove to people that i could learn things and you know knew how to put my head down and, and study through some stuff but uh 
would if doing it over, would I have uh, preserved optionality coming out of undergrad and uh, and taken a more tried and true path? Like maybe, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> with some do you of the feel like do you, feel, do you feel like the transition out of MBA has been tough? Like in terms of the modeling and all that stuff for for the actual deals you're looking at, a little bit. Um, in my actual role now, uh, no, I don't. I don't think that I'm expected to do anything modeling-wise that uh, I haven't been able to like pick up and figure out pretty quickly. Like, I, and you know, they've got templates for everything and mm-hmm. uh, someone there to teach you how to do it. Uh, but yep. did I fail modeling tests along the way at private equity funds? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> I had a, uh, I had one where they gave me a model. Should have taken our course, man. I- you should have taken our course. <laughs> I should have. I definitely should have. Um, little uh, little plug but, uh, in there. A little ad right at the end of the podcast. It's perfect. Yeah. No, just no. no, but no. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time. So th- that's interesting. You know, I think we. I hear that a lot from like fund of funds. I think it can be a really fascinating position, and some people you can actually make a lot of money and be at be at a great great firm because. Um, a lot of people are only like wanting to go to the principal investing. So if you are show like dedication and. Um, work hard, you can really move up at those firms. Um, that yeah, and I would said, say, yeah, I would say don't. Lo- um, it can lock you in, right? Um, it, it, it can it can lock you in, but I think, you know, um, the, the allocator space, if you can call it that, you know, endowments, foundations, fund of funds, pensions, um, it's, not a, it's not a space that a lot of people, I feel like, are super aware of. And as you said, like, you can do, you can do quite well. And it's, if you're, if you're someone who's like very academically minded um, and uh, likes thinking like really high level about investment trends and, and ideas and like digging into like academic research on it, like an endowment or a foundation or something like that can be a really cool place to work where there's, you know, if you rise to a certain level, you can do pretty well financially without, uh, you know, killing yourself. um, Or having uh, to jump around in 20 different places or anything like that. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. Very cool. I think we'll leave it at that. I think that's very wise. Good advice. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate your time as well. Thank you. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And until next time.